0: The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right
1: Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Can you hear the tension in my voice? (laughs) At the time of recording, I'm putting the finishing touches on my book, Glacial, which weaves the partially untold story of the history of the politics of climate change over like 55 years. It's basically all that I think about now that the countdown to the manuscript's due date is in the single digits, which is why I'm talking about it now. And you can be assured that I will continue to talk about it, probably to death, until it comes out in August of next year. Way before then, you can enjoy my conversation with Sarah Beth Aubrey, the CEO and founder of In Climate uh, Conversations, a growing network of industry professionals representing the food supply chain, including the energy, agriculture, and natural resources sectors that work to better understand and ultimately guide the conversation around climate change in Indiana. And now expanding to other states as well, which you will hear in a minute, Sarah Beth is trying to demystify how we talk about climate change or even bless that it's okay to talk about climate in her networking community. Sarah Beth has twice been named a 40 under 40 agricultural leader to watch. She's been featured on Forbes.com, the Indiana Business Journal, top producer, and writes the Farm CEO Coach syndicated column. Let me just say that she is so easy and fun to talk to, which is why I think she must be really an excellent broker in climate conversations. Listeners, I will deny you no longer. Stay tuned for my conversation with Sarah Beth Aubrey. Listeners, as promised, I'm here in conversation with Sarah Beth Aubrey from In Climate Conversations. Sarah Beth, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, thank you. I am so excited for this conversation today.
1: Well, it's sort of appropriate, the name of your organization, because this is what we do here is we have climate conversations. So in, I'm assuming that the in for in climate conversation stands for Indiana, where you're located.
2: It does, and it's a it's a play on word. We were founded in Indiana two years ago in 2021, but we're expanding. So now that is a double play on words. Indiana is our beta, but in climate conversations also means for all of us in the climate dialogue, just as you said.
1: I love it. So how did in climate conversations come about?
2: So we started technically right at two years ago, in fact, not quite. I think 20, 21 months ago is as when this show will air. In Indiana, particularly, I've been in the the ag consulting space, doing a lot of facilitation, leading groups for change for almost 19 years. And, you know, at that time in 21, we were still heavily in the midst of COVID. And a lot of dialogue was shifting. A lot more climate projects were coming our way. There was talk of funding in this space coming our way. We had just come off a little bit of a contentious legislative season in Indiana with some of our uh, constituents, if you will. And there was a small group of us that gathered and said, you know, literally the proverbial thing that starts many things. We ought to have more of a climate conversation. Do should we, as a state now, be having a climate conversation? And famous last words: somebody should do something. So that ended up being me at that point. And from that conversation, we began to do a call-out meeting later that summer. By June, we invited a variety of agricultural and, and um, ag-to-energy groups to the table in, I think that was in mid-June of 21. Literally, I just stood at the front of the room, Chelsea, and asked these 20, it was probably 20 groups that showed up because climate was still a little bit difficult to say in Indiana two years ago, I literally stood up in front of the room and said, do we want to organize? Do we want a group? Do we want to have this dialogue in a more formal way? And there were several groups that stepped up and, and so here we are.
1: So then are you convening sessions um, with different constituencies, mostly in the ag and um, sustainability space so that they can talk to each other and you're facilitating those conversations or, you know, what, how does you, how do you work structurally?
2: Yeah, well, that has evolved and it continues to evolve because with any new, ish, and new group work, you're a startup. Mm-hmm. So you see what works, you realize there's a there, there, mm-hmm. and then you continue to grow. But a couple of the things that we do. So yes, to your point, we absolutely convene partners providers to one another, and providers to the end consumer, whether that end consumer be at the beginning of the chain in the agricultural producer and rural landowner, or the middle of the chain, the distributors and wholesalers that sell through and to each other to service that chain, or at the other end of the chain, which is you and I as we become consumers of food and fiber and and fuel products based upon that chain. So that's really what we're doing. We're trying to convene players, and this is companies, trade groups, associations, within any one spot in that place and we're literally saying you know who are our partners here we're we're all collaborators in this space whether we all work together or not right now but one of the big things we recognized early on in this process that continues to be a space we're emerging into more heavily is education we recognize with the exception of a couple of our global based companies that already had ESG frameworks and doing that reporting might have been publicly traded. With the exception of a couple of those, most groups, even representing thousands upon thousands of growers in the state, weren't necessarily well-versed in climate language, weren't 100% sure how to address the topic with their customer constituent, didn't want to, um, were somewhere afraid to step out and do so because they weren't sure what language to use they weren't sure what some of their positions were on various topics because their teams had either talked about them, put it aside, talked about them, disagreed, or not talked about them at all. So we're so education, convening, and really trying to make we literally use the word we're building a productive and practical dialogue around climate for agriculture in the state and beyond. Well, I think that
1: what you said about not having the right words or the right language is really important because when we don't know how to talk about something, then we retreat, right? Because we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to convey the wrong meaning. And so I think that's a very human response to be uncomfortable speaking about things that you don't have the vocabulary. Like I am not going to go talk about medical things because I don't have the terminology I don't know anatomy you know that kind of stuff. so we all tend to um to feel better when we understand not only what the words mean but the consequences of different concepts and with climate change it is really complicated there's a lot of science there's a lot of economics and so I think that's great that you're facilitating um this learning this education and um you know, especially with the ag and sustainability side of the equation, to me, that is really kind of the next big conversation that we need to have as a nation. So you're starting it in Indiana. I know there's a farm bill that is going to have to go through the federal government, uh, Congress, um, this cycle, this congressional cycle. And I'm sort of looking at that and thinking, this is going to be another climate bill, right? Because climate change so impacts how we grow our food, where we grow our food. And I think there's a real opportunity for farmers to be part of the solution.
2: We definitely agree. In fact, we have, this will be our second year in a row, hosting what we call the Midwest's first um, and and maybe only Agriculture Climate Summit. And we actually gave it the tagline, Ag as the Solution. So you're teeing that up for me, Chelsea, and didn't realize you were, but we, we definitely think so. I mean, we recognize one of the hesitations that folks in agriculture, whether they be on the row crop or the livestock side, you know, they've, they're, they often, of course, a lot of ag folks aren't natural advocates because that's just, you know, traditionally we weren't raised to speak up and, and brag about what we do. But we've learned in our industry now through other things that we're working on besides and before climate that yes if you don't share your story someone else will write your narrative and that is a major problem so we're encouraging folks to step into the space and I'm actually participating in an event tomorrow called stepping into sustainability for agriculture and really we're just literally trying to make the case that listen if you don't necessarily agree with all the climate dialogue that's occurring, that's fine, that's great. You need to be sharing what you think that dialogue should be. And you need to make sure that that's backed by, um, by science, by practices, by changes that you're looking to make, and probably verification of many of the things that you and your industry are already doing to improve your practices. You know, a lot of times we've made a lot of great changes and evolutions in how we do business, but we we just haven't talked about it. And so, you know, we think that's really important to share what agriculture is doing to be a solution. And it's, you know, it's been it's been fun bringing this up. Um, Agriculture tends to be conservative, as you well know. Not everyone is is a Republican. We're not necessarily talking parties here, but just kind of a conservative type of space. So. Just really one of our main goals, Chelsea, is to say the word climate and say, take this word back. Why why does it have to mean one political agenda to you? It doesn't. Climate is a descriptive word. (laughs) So use it the way that it makes sense for what, you know, what it describes in your environment. And so we're really encouraging our members to better own that that phrase, that word and this space.
1: Hallelujah to that because you know to what we were just saying before about words. Words can sometimes take on power of their own, and I think part of the reason why the words "climate change" have been associated with a more liberal agenda is because there was a you know about a decade of time when um, when the Republican Party itself kind of retreated from talking about climate change, and that was a detriment to the movement overall because then we're already hyper-partisan, right? So then you just like create this divide. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're all here. We're all going to feel the impacts. And what you were saying about farmers being conservative, I know exactly what you mean. My mom's from the Midwest. There is a way that you, you know, you eat all the food on your plate. You only use what you need (laughs) You take what you need, but you, you know, you save, you um, are, it's about it's about conserving. It's like putting the word conserve and conservative, right? And I think that that is a, a mindset that especially when you work in an industry where an early freeze can like change your whole outlook for the year, or I don't think this is happening as much in the Midwest, but out in the West, we have the wildfires and the droughts and so forth. So things that are outside of your control can ten, can have huge ramifications for your business model. So not wanting, you know, I, I think I can imagine that there's a tendency to want things to be the same and to want things to be how you're expecting them to be without those other wild cards thrown in.
2: Yeah, you know, you're right about the Midwest in many places. But what I tell people in this space is you can, can, you can maintain those, your conservative values and, and still talk about climate Uh, (laughs) They're not mutually exclusive. One does not, you know, deny you the other. Um, And we've, we've done a poor job as a society, uh, creating that narrative that it belongs to one, uh, one side of point of views, I wouldn't even say one party. And that's just not going to cut it. Um, I will tell a funny story that I told you in our prep time, where when we started this two years ago, it was still just, I mean, it's like we just didn't say climate in Indiana. And in some circles, you still don't, and people still raise a brow at me. And we've had members or folks that wanted to be members, but let's see how it goes. Let's see how people take to that before we join. And I'm still having that conversation with some of those folks. But literally, when we started this two years ago, I had a a state senator say to me, well, hon, if you turned into a liberal, and I just was, I was stunned. And all I could do was laugh out loud, because it was most, it was an awkward moment. But it was also just it was funny, but then as when I got home, I thought, that's when I really started saying, no, we, we need to change the dialogue. We need to reown the dialogue. You can be, you know, like I said, have the values that you have operate in a, the way that matters to you and your farm, your family, your community, and still be relevant and aware of what's happening from a climate standpoint and work to have practices that improve that.
0: We're energy optimists and climate realists stand with us at republicen.org now back to this week's episode
1: what your story reminds me of our executive director bob inglis's story which many of our long-time listeners have heard which was when he before he had his climate epiphany he is a republican who represented what he calls the reddest state in the union in south carolina and as he puts it, the only thing he knew about climate change was that Al Gore was for it, so he was against it. And then <laughs> he was running for re-election, and his son had just turned eighteen, and his son was like, "Listen, Dad, I'll vote for you, but you got to clean up your act on the environment." And that, combined with a trip to Greenland and Antarctica with the science committee, and just kind of a confluence of influences all at once, made him realize this is something that I can own and that I can talk about because now I, you know, he he walked away from the talking points, right? He walked away from the script that had been handed him and expanded his vocabulary, expanded his worldview. And so here we are today doing what you just said, like trying to take away that barrier that you can't talk about this issue. If you, your ideology leans one way or the other, this is again, something that is going to impact all humans (laughs) of, you know, whether you are living someplace urban or rural, here or in other countries. And so we might as well just figure out how we can all carve out our own little niches to be part of the solution.
2: We can. And every organization, entity, you know, has a role to play. And that's one thing I would like to mention about our in climate and, and just our views in general, whether it's our group or those those around us, we don't kick anybody out of the climate conversation. We also think that's terribly unproductive. Uh, you know, but there are some groups I'm part of or, or some conversations that I'm part of where you know, we're demonizing one industry and saying there's another industry is the only way, you know, there are transitions going on and we recognize those, but we know that for all of us who are here now, the organizations that are here now, if you're here now, you need to own your space and, and what it, what do you need to do from a practice change or or whatever it is. And for us with, with the discussion around climate, if we go back to farmers, one other really important thing, and this is where I think we've started to build a bridge. With agriculture, legacy is so, so important. It's not just relevant or important, it's it's a fact of life, it's it's true to the core, to the identity of, of a lot of folks in agriculture, um, because they usually came to it most in most cases by some form of legacy with a family member or something. And many people in agriculture want to leave their legacy for someone, someone else. And so when you really begin to look at this discussion from that standpoint, um, the conversation gets so much easier and it's just a lot more comfortable to have as well.
1: I bet. I bet. So you mentioned that you're expanding to other states. Can you say what those states are or is it still? We in don't the-
2: have any. It's, well, we don't have any specific um, expansion groups or beta we, or chapters yet. So we've got some small form committees happening in a couple of our neighboring Midwest states, but we don't have a what I would call an in-climate chapter somewhere else exactly established. I hope to by the end of the year. So if we can, we get back together, we'll, we'll look for that. And one other way we're expanding beyond borders is through our Women in Ag Sustainability Initiative. So this is a brand new program that in-climate is pulled together. It will launch formally on June 26th here in, in Indiana. At our uh, Ag as the Solution Summit, we're going to have a special function for women in ag sustainability. The reason we wanted to go there is we recognize that there is a burgeoning number of career opportunities in this space, a lot of which women are stepping into very readily, whether it's because today in agriculture, many colleges and universities graduate more women than men. And all across the spectrums of the ag degrees, then of course there is ag sustainability degrees now. But when you know I graduated 20 years ago, that wasn't wasn't available. Um, a lot of women stepping into these roles, even mid career, carving a niche out as a you know a, you know a chief sustainability officer, a role again that's fairly new. And I'm finding that it's just something that women tend to be very passionate about so we've we're kind of a boots to boardroom group so we've got your conservation agronomist ladies that are out in the field they've got their soil probes they've got their four-wheeler they're checking stuff they're measuring the carbon in the soil all the way over to women, perhaps more like you and I, that are in the industry. And, and you know, we're we're doing these kinds of very forward-facing, broad industry things, uh, it, you know, literally in the boardroom networking with companies and, and trade organizations. So we're excited to see where that goes. And that will be a, a launch and we'll be doing a lot more functions with that online. So it's kind of a borderless effort for us.
1: I love that. That's amazing. It reminds me, um, She would probably kill me if she knew I was telling this story, but my best friend from college, her daughter is a senior in high school, applying to school. They kind of have the typical mother-daughter relationship where, you know, anytime my friend asks her daughter a question, she gets, you don't know anything, mom. Just don't talk to me about that, mom. So she really (laughs) said, all right, you don't want to talk about where you want to go to college or what you want to study. You can work with your uh, college counselor at school on all of that. So she wrote the checks for the application fees let them let her daughter do this with the the college counselor. And then the acceptances started to come in. And she got into um, a university um, with like almost a full ride. And then my friend's looking at the fine print. And she's like, you got into the School of Agriculture? Did you really mean to apply to the School of Agriculture? And of course, her daughter's like, shut up, mom, you know. And she's like, I think it was a mistake that she didn't mean to. But I'm sure they were like, Young woman from a very urban major U.S. city wants to come to our rural state and study ag. Yes, let her in. That was like my reaction that I was thinking, and um, I don't I have not heard whether she's going to do that. Maybe a a, a mistake becomes a happy career opportunity.
2: Who knows? Um, there but there are hope, a lot of opportunities in this particular career segment for sure. So hope she chooses it.
1: Yeah. Do you know, do you work at all with the um, Indiana Conservative Energy Alliance?
2: Yes, we have. Uh, We have partnered with them through various functions. I believe they attended and sponsored actually our summit last year. So, yes, we're getting to know, you know, there's a lot of groups in our state, surprising to others that are popping up and and taking on different niches within this space and, and, and striving to get to know each other.
1: So, um, Sarah Beth, if any of our listeners want to learn more about In Climate um, Conversations, where do they find you?
2: Well, we'd love for them to learn more, and they can find us at just that, at our website, inclimateconversations.com. So there's plenty of activity over on that page about what we're doing. They can see some of our past events, see our members. And then obviously we do have our summit coming up. And so it would be, uh, I couldn't be more excited to promote that again this year. So it's June 26th is the evening before the Women in Sustainability event. And this is an open to the world event. It's a ticketed event. It's our primary um, income stream for the year for climate. So it's a ticketed event. So they can get tickets to the Women's Sustainability function as well to the full summit, which is on the 27th from basically, I think we're starting 830. So 830 to four, and that's at the Hendricks County Conference Center in the Indy Metro area. They can see it all there. And yeah, we'd love to have people come and learn more. Last year, we had a lot of fun because we brought nonprofits, uh, agriculture, energy, farmers, government All together in a room for our first uh, session, and that was one of the first times that that's happened with that kind of diversity. And everybody stayed pretty civil. Nothing, you know, we had legislators in the room as well from the state. We had a really good conversation, and we are planning to do that yet again.
1: Well, good luck with that. I can't wait to hear more. I would love for us to continue this conversation um, as you continue to spread your reach and get the word out and. We um, would definitely, I, if you have a link to registration, I'm happy to include um, registration for your event in a weekly newsletter that goes out to some of the RepublicEN.org's uh, membership. So anyone um, that gets that newsletter could click on it. And if there is a, a virtual component that they could tap into, you don't have to be in Indiana to be part of this conversation, it sounds like.
2: Yes, and I will definitely get you that. We'd love to have them there and, and just really excited that we can be, you know, in a space where this conversation is getting easier. It's where the solutions are not they're not all in place. And that's OK. Where we need to be is we need to be in a place of being open to the dialogue. So thank you for facilitating that through your podcast as well.
3: Leadership. Passionate, engaging. That's exactly what I came away with in that wonderful interview and conversation that our Steam host Chelsea Henderson had with Sarah Beth Aubrey, the founder and CEO of Elevate Ag, based out of Indiana. She's also the leader of In Climate as well. Find out a lot more information about what Sarah Beth is involved with, which is a whole lot that she's got going on at www.sarabethaubrey.com or on Twitter at Sarah Beth Aubrey. That's R-E-Y at the end. Thanks to everybody for joining us. I'm Price Atkinson. Chelsea Henderson, it's taking a little time off here to get that manuscript finished for her book that she is working so hard and speaking a passionate, she is working passionately on to get that baby done. So you'll have me just flying solo here in this last segment, but you can listen to a new episode of The Eco-Right Speaks again every single week New episodes drop on Tuesday, wherever it is you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. You pick it. That's where you can find it. The Eco Right Speaks. Again, new episodes come out every single Tuesday. You can follow us online at Republican.org, and that is where you can sign up to join us and stand with us. Because we need you. If you have not signed up to stand with us, we need you to do so. It is that simple, Republican.org forward slash join. It takes a matter of seconds. We don't spam you. Uh, We'll send you our outstanding weekend review that Chelsea puts together that comes out on Fridays. You can sign up to join us there online as other members have done just this week. Connor M. in Florida, Debbie G. in Oregon, Jacob A. in Indiana, Elizabeth B. in South Carolina, and McLean M. in Kansas. Thank you all for standing with us and joining with us just this week. All right, you want to get involved with Republican.org, we want you to get involved with us too. Not just by joining. You interested in doing an event with us? Drop me a line, price at Republican.org. We've got a big, busy month of April around the corner. Bob's going to be on the road. He's going to be all over the place this coming April, and we want to do an event with you, whether it's the spring, the summer, or even in the fall. Drop me a line. I handle all our events and programming here at Republican.org. I would love to hear from you, especially if you've got a conservative event in mind. Please let me know and let us see what we can do, how we can engage, how we can work, and how we can help you uh, by getting involved. All right, coming up next week here on The Eco Right Speaks, Christina Jones, an accomplished hunter and outdoors woman from New Jersey. She also volunteers with the National Wild Turkey Federation, an avid outdoors woman. I think you're gonna really be interested in. Fascinated by this conversation that Chelsea has with Christina Jones, an accomplished hunter from the state of New Jersey. You don't want to miss that coming up next week here on the Eco Right Speaks. Again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts, hit that subscribe button so we can have this podcast delivered right to your fingertips every single week. But until then, next week, when Chelsea Henderson returns, joins me here in this final segment. I'm Price Atkinson. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for taking the time, investing your time each week into the podcast. We will talk to you on the other side
0: coming up next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.